This person has made a big impact on our life. Have really learned a lot from her. All right, somebody get me out of here. <laughs> no, we've had our own little counseling in this whole thing. This has been quite the counseling session. <laughs> I hope you've learned a lot. We've definitely benefited from this. <laughs> you we. Did you see that? Yeah, uh, and I just said we. Love or work. Welcome to the Love Work Podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. And we are on chapter 10 and 11 in our book. Hopefully you've been reading along with us. It's been fun to kind of re-dig in again. Uh, but these two chapters really are about, about parenting, right? Yeah. In the village to help you parent. <laughs> yeah. And the village mentality. And yeah. So before we get into all that, we just got off a great weekend, right? Yes. We had our first love or work retreat hmm. weekend away. We had a bunch of couples yeah, get together. You were a keynote speaker. So were you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do that sometimes for you. You're like. I don't do that. So, yeah. It was it was really good. I think it was really refreshing for me to just see how much people need community, right? Yes, for sure. And I think when we were there in that time, there was a lot of people that just really enjoyed being together mm -hmm. and learning from each other. And in the context of this conversation with like marriage and relationships and parenting work. and work and all these things, it's like how often I think I we were all kind of floored and realized, you know, we don't create space for this. Mm -hmm. Right. To have those intentional conversations. Exactly. And then it brought me back to today because we're going over chapter 10 and 11. We're going to talk about chapter 10 in a minute, but I wanted to go back to 11 and just the village idea. And I thought to myself, like, that is exactly why we're doing this entire series. Mm. We are going back through the book, intentionally wanting people to have a book club to get together and talk about these chapters with other people. All right. So I'm going to be a little more proactive in this. I'm going to be direct and say, if you have read this book or if you've been interested in reading this, you follow along in the podcast, you're there with us. You've been with us on this journey. I want to encourage you to invite four or five friends, mm -hmm. couples, and be like, hey, can we read this together? Like a dinner club or a yeah. supper club. Do it for one soon. month. Do yeah. it for five weeks, whatever. I mean, like figure out the timing that works. But I after being a part of the conversations we had this weekend, I promise you, like, you're going to be encouraged knowing, like, I am not alone. Yes. These friends of mine are all thinking the same thing. And it's just a, a conversation starter. It really is super intentional conversation starter. And I think it's weird. I think people are coming back kind of after COVID and trying to figure out who are there friends and yeah. who do we hang out? And this is a great way to like make a conscious effort to say, okay, let's do this. Let's get five couples together. Let's make it work. That's it. Have a charcuterie board. <laughs> do your thing. Whatever. Whatever makes it fun for you. I promise it'll be good. Yeah. This weekend was amazing. Yeah. So so try to try to do that. I mean, I'm 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 calling like if you're listening, you're like, man, I should do that. I should do that. Like, yes, you should do it. Or do it. I'm feeling lonely and I don't know how to find community. Send then a text friend. You should do Text this. some friends right now and do it. Yeah. Yes. 
for sure. All right. So as we get into this, our friend John Tyson joined us. Yes. And who's John? John is a pastor in New York City, and we're actually going to really focus more on chapter 10 with him. And he wrote the book, The Intentional Father. And it's a practical guide to raising sons of courage and character. So this is kind of pretty focused. I think when I read the book, I realized, okay, this isn't for me. I'm I'm a mom. And it's more focused for fathers. Yeah, if we're really honest, let's just talk about really what happened. Because you came and you're like, well, I I just I don't think this is for everybody. And and, <laughs> and Jeff said And hang on. And, and, wait, wait, wait. Let me just talk for a second. Let's just 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 give me a second, okay? And it's like, I mean, think of, I mean, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, to all these other, what about the women? What about this? What about, and I'm like, Andre, it's literally called Intentional Father, and it's about raising sons. I'm like, don't critique him for actually focusing on <laughs> something. Like, he's focused. It's okay. Like, you're not the target audience. I'm not the target audience. So all you ladies listening, what should they do? Well, honestly. It that ended was, up okay. being really great. That was like how you thought about the book, but then we just had this long conversation with him, and you're, and you're going to be like, oh, is I love, amazing. You're gonna be like, I love John Tyson. Oh, he said all the, the best stuff. No, I need to have my husband No, no wait, to time out. Especially that accent. I could listen all day I mean, long. Please talk to me, John Tyson. John lives in New York City now, but he is from Australia, so he has the... Perfect Beautiful Australian accent. accent. And I, I kind of forgot until we got on the call and I'm like, oh, here we go. This is I great. can go all day with you. Listen to John, to John all day. I could So too. if you love a good accent, ladies, <laughs> definitely listen in for sure. Well, let's just get right into it. All right. Here we go with John Tyson about the intentional father. John, you wrote a really incredible book and I want to start off with kind of the problem that you see currently, specifically related to fatherhood. Like, why why is it so important to invest in the thinking and the fathers of our generation today? What is the problem you see, and why do you think it's important to focus on that? Well, part of it is was a personal problem I faced. Um, I got married pretty young, and we had kids right away, and you know, as a dad in his early 20s uh, with a boy, I was just like, gosh, when I look back over my own experience, I don't feel like I have what it takes in order to be able to raise my son to be the kind of person that I think he's probably called to be. So I felt this deep, deep existential angst about my own lack of formation as a dad, my own preparation. And I wanted to pay that forward. Uh, You know, I've worked in different organizations, nonprofits and also Christian nonprofits, and I've worked with a lot of young men. And I just kept seeing a re- reoccurring theme, which is young men felt like they either had a void in terms of mentors or father figures and that they weren't prepared to handle the realities and complexities of modern life. It felt like there was some ancient preparation pathway that they knew in their soul should be there but wasn't offered to them culturally. And then the third thing I think would be looking away uh, around our society as a whole today, men are struggling. I think your listeners you know, may be aware I'm a, a Christian pastor, so that's what I do for a living. I am not uh, what is called a complementarian. So just to explain that, I don't believe in a theology of male headship, for example. I believe women can be pastors. I believe that 
men and women can hold equal offices inside the church. So I didn't develop this because I have some theology that men are in charge and women need to follow, anything like that. But I I did see a huge need culturally. Well, it felt like in some sense men were limping a little bit. They They were struggling, particularly younger men. And so, you know, if you love people and you repeatedly face a problem, you want to do something about it. And so, yeah, personally, in my own community, uh, some cultural issues, I felt like we needed to address this. Um, one of the biggest predictors, so even in terms of the conversation around justice, one of the biggest things you can do to bring about justice in the world is to put a dad in the home that loves his kids well. Like the data is just extraordinary of how much that is a definitive factor in raising kids and helping them prosper and succeed in the world. So I, I felt like there's also a lot of confusion in that space and uh, the dominant voices seem to be driven by, you know, just purely like one or two points of data or agenda. And I was trying to take a more holistic approach. So all of those things sort of came together when my son became a teenager and I just jumped in and did it with him primarily. And then other people came back and said, that seems really helpful. Have you written anything about that? And I think a little bit after enough peer pressure, I said, okay, let me try and put it down. And that's ultimately what became the book. It is very good. And I know that I am not your target demographic that you're speaking to, <laughs> but I did read the whole book, John. So okay, I, do I do like your five types of fathers that you kind of came up with. Can you describe a little bit about what you're seeing in those five different types? You know, I, I think I appreciate sort of pattern recognition and problem solving and in, in a lot of my conversations, realized that people were basically saying like my dad sort of acted and had characteristics and traits that sort of fit into these different categories. Those categories, they all start with I because, you know, I'm committed to helping people remember things. So uh, the first kind of father um, is an irresponsible father. And this is someone who sort of doesn't understand what they've done in terms of bringing a human being into the world, like the, the level of responsibility the deep, deep um, lifetime bond, the psychic wound that will happen if a dad disappears. Uh, The irresponsible father just, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to prioritize that and they disappear. They refuse to take responsibility. Then you get the ignorant father, and this is the kind of dad that just doesn't know what they're doing. They don't either have the tools, knowledge, history, background, or experience. Ignorant dads tend to do a lot of damage. They can just prescribe from their own experiences, have a lack of empathy, get caught up in their own drama. Then you get inconsistent dads. And these are often dads who are wrestling with their own either ambition or brokenness, which means they're in and out. And we know that kids need consistency to thrive. I mean, every parent who's ever developed a schedule for their kids knows how important it is for there to be some sort of structure and consistent process. So dads who are in and out often do damage. And and a lot of times when I talk to folks who've been raised with inconsistent fathers, that they'll say things like, I could never tell if it was me or him, but I always thought it probably had to be me. And it produces sort of like a deep insecurity. Why do you want to be around me? What's so great about your job or this hobby that is better than me? It makes kids feel like there's a deficit in them that can't sort of anchor their parents' presence in their life. Then you get involved dads and an involved dad is like your typical good dad. You know, gives you the sex talk, um, teaches you how to drive the car, comes to the game or to the show if that's, you know, what you're doing. But they're living for the most part out of generalities, which means like they know the right thing to do and so they talk about it on a general level. But my dad was an involved dad. But then there's a level beyond that. 
And that's an intentional father who's asking a slightly more nuanced question. And the question is this, who is this particular child that I've been entrusted with? And how do I find the key to their heart and, un- and help them discover their core gifts so that I can prepare them for who they're called to be in the world? And to give you a, a personal example, I was um, a pretty gifted kid, both academically and uh, in sports. And so I've got a lot of memories of being uh, sort of like team captain, best and fairest, top of my class academically. And my dad would always say to me, don't become arrogant. Don't become arrogant. Don't get prideful. And it was very, very interesting because that's, that's great advice for an arrogant young man. But the issue was I actually wasn't arrogant. I struggled my entire teenage years with deep insecurity and even to this day, I'm what many people would categorize as a reluctant leader, which means I'm the guy who out of courage will walk to the stage because it's needed, but who would prefer not to be on it rather than the guy you have to destroy the platform and steal the mic from because you'll never give it up. So if my dad really understood the key to my heart, what he would have said is don't become, he, wouldn't, he would not have said don't become arrogant. What he would have said is take heart, step up. You can make a difference. He would have encouraged me and not warned me about pride. And so I think the intention of father goes one layer deeper to understand what's actually happening in the heart and doesn't live out of general principles, even if they're true and helpful, and is a little more precise in their understanding and affirmation. And um, I think that the, when, when the, the number one thing most teenagers feel like is like they don't feel understood, like people don't get them. Mm-hmm. And I think the intentional father works very, very hard so that the, their kid feels like, dad gets me, like he actually gets who I am. So that's sort of the five kind of fathers and the vision of trying to equip people and help people become more intentional in their parenting. So as I'm listening to that, I mean, I, I think I instinctively categorize my dad in some way. Like it's, it's very easy to maybe critique or place your father in one of those spaces, but it seems like it'd be, it's hard for me as a dad to kind of <laughs> probably accept where I'm at on that spectrum. I'm curious, as you've shared this with people, what has been the response in, in that tension? So two things I want to say. This book is not called The Perfect Dad because that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Intentional Father because I believe all of us have the capacity wherever we are to be more intentional. I've never met a dad who has not said in his heart, I want to be more intentional in my relationship with my kids. I've never met a dad who's like, no, I have got this figured out, nailed, dialed in, I'm good. So I think it's, I'm trying to create sort of aspiration and desire um, in a father's heart. And a lot of times, um, but what I'm trying, I, I think there's no pain like kid pain. Do you know what I mean? Like our, our kids have a way of getting to the sciatic nerve of our hearts. Hmm. And there can be a lot of regret. Now, how you do with regret is a completely different issue, but I think what I would say to those people who still have time and, and space is like, I'm wanting to help you avoid as much regret as possible. And so the way to do that and to do it with like as good a conscience as you can have is to say, look, I can't control my kid. There's no formula for producing perfect humans. It's very, very hard. But I can help you say when your kids leave the home and they transition into adulthood and you move from an authority figure to a to sort of adult friendship, I gave it the best I could based on who I am with my gifts, my personality. 
And uh, so I find that resonates with a lot of dads. I'm not saying be like me. I'm not saying be perfect. I'm saying, you know who you are. You know the circumstances you're in. Move towards being more intentional. And you just never know the seeds of possibility that are released when you do it. And I I have found, and I I still have a lot of conversations with young men, teenage men, and uh, one, one very, very recently in the last two weeks where the number one goal of this teenage boy's life was like, I just wish my dad would move towards me. So I said, well, what would you do if he did move towards you? He said, I would do anything in response. See, but the the interesting thing about that is I hear, like we have, our kids are preteen, just give category. So they're, but they're getting close. I mean, very close. Uh, But I hear from a lot of other dads and moms that like, there's a point when their kids just won't listen to them. They actually don't they they feel like there is no even when they try to pursue them they won't you know they get nothing in response because that's the teenage way to like be moving away from you right do you think my son every morning was waking up and putting a banner up and say oh great intentional father thank you for your sacrifice (laughs) and preparation this morning probably not no man their brains aren't fully formed They don't know. I mean, they're just, they're just figuring it out. So again, I mean, it's like sowing and reaping never happens in the same season, man. There's always a distance between mm. what you put in and what comes out. And that's life. And, and love is doing it without affirmation anyway. Love is doing it is because this is what a parent is called to do, not because the kid is meeting their emotional needs for recognition or encouragement or whatever. That's why you need some other adult friends who will be like, Hey, man, my kid's ungrateful. They're like, yeah, mine too. And it's like, well, okay, great. Let's keep being parents then. I think that's what kids are like. You know, mm-hmm. that's part of the dynamic. So it can be discouraging. I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm, you set sure. the expectation. It is a very, very, very rare teenager that has the capacity to understand what is being done for them. My son, and I mean, I was like very intentional uh, raising both my kids, but particularly my son. And he didn't even understand what I tried to do for him until he left home. And then he came back after a gap year and was like, thanks, Dad. I really, now that I have some contrast and some distance, see what you did for me. So like he didn't even see that. He was 19 years old. Hmm. So again, we parent out of love and responsibility, not out of the need for affirmation from our kids. And, yeah. um, it's, it's, but it, is, it can feel painful when we move towards them and they, they seem to be apathetic or resistant, that sort of thing. But again, part of they're trying to differentiate, you know. And so you got to just ride those waves. And um, you know, my daughter was way less responsive than my son initially, and uh, but in her senior year, really, really began to sort of like see the vision I had. It's like this is for you. If you don't want to do it, I got other things to do with my time. I'm a busy man, but I love you, and I'm here for you. And to the degree that you want my input, I will clear my schedule and give you everything I've ever learned. And in her senior year, she was like, okay, dad, are you talking about adulting? And I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And she's like, give me everything you've got. I'm not ready. And we had an amazing year together working through that. So every kid's different. Yes. Yeah. You talk about like keeping kind of the end in mind, like encouraging fathers in keeping the end in mind. Are you saying the end as like uh, launching them from you in terms of them like walking out your door or are you thinking the end is like just a good human like for all of life or are, are those the same thing? No, I think they're slightly different. I mean, 
you know, just like your phone has like multiple lenses to take photos at different lengths, depending on what you're taking it on. I mean, it's, 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 it's some of all of those things. I think the question I would, I would say is this, like, what is your image of peak fatherhood? And for our culture, and I got this from a friend of mine named Jeremy, um, at a men's event, he, he'd said, what's your image of peak fatherhood? And he said, in our culture, it's dad with two toddlers. That's peak fatherhood. But he said, peak fatherhood is you playing with your grandkids because your kid wants you to have input in their kids. He's like, that's peak fatherhood. Mm-hmm. It's when this thing is multi-generational and you've built a lasting legacy and you've done as much as you can to dam up the brokenness that's coming through your family and history and you're releasing blessing downstream. And he always says, honor goes up, but vision comes down. Like, you know, honor your parents for the, they've all been through hell in some way, shape or form. They're all trying to do the best they can with varying degrees of success and meeting our needs at various levels. But peak fatherhood is when we do our best downstream to create life in such a way that our kids want to bring their kids to have access to what we carry. So that to me is what I'm working on. Um, you, You do transition when they go to college. It is a big thing. Um, you've obviously lost your capacity to control them in some sense, though you're still probably praying for college or helping them with that, helping them get the loans for it or whatever. So I, I work towards that. You know, now both my, we're empty nesters now, which is kind of wild. Um, and now I'm working on adult friendship. So I basically focus on three things, you know, which is, you know, again, I'm a pastor. So I'm, I'm focusing on their faith journey. Do they own their faith into adulthood? And how can I help them? At this point, I'm only invited in. I can't prescribe. Number two, their sense of vocational call. How do I figure, help them figure out what to do with their life? Obviously, college is a very challenging time. And then who they end up marrying if they choose to get married. It's like I want to help them discern well and uh, avoid as much heartache as they can. And so the topics switch to those three big ideas. And again, I'm invited into those conversations. I've lost my ability to lecture and prescribe. So I think up until they leave home, you get a lot more influence over them and you're trying to value pack that but then you want to maintain it in college and then ultimately you know into adult friendship so so this book was really focused through the lens of raising your son but even just a few minutes ago you're kind of referring back to okay investing in being intentional with your daughter yeah how different was that was it a similar approach um what did you learn in that process well, it shouldn't be controversial to say what I'm about to say because like the Harvard studies, data is always interpreted, but look, there are differences between men and women. That's not a gender. That is a sociological fact. I mean, there are ways that men and women show up in the world that uh, they're more similar than they are different, but there are distinct differences. And so I try to customize a book towards raising my son because I felt like there were specific things he needed. Um, to help shape him, uh, you know, into the kind of man I think he was called to be. And again, this is di- different than how I was raised. And it's, I tried to give him things that if he had a different personality, like I try to customize a lot of it around him. If he was different, I would have done different things with him. But my journey with my daughter was very, very different. And uh, she just was not interested in some of the things that I put my son through. It was way more uh, relational rather than sort of like task and skill development, though we covered some of that. It was a lot more listening. You you said something uh, interesting a little bit earlier. You said, my kids just won't listen to me. And it's like, that is such an interesting statement. And it's a statement 
that I do talk about in the book, but it's, it's from Stephen Covey. It's about an angry dad who shows up and he says, I don't understand my kid. He won't listen to me. And Covey says, say it again. I don't understand my kid. He won't listen to me. He says, say that again. I don't understand my kid. He won't listen to me. And then Covey says, that's very interesting because I thought if you wanted to understand someone, you had to listen to them. And again, it's that was definitely the journey with my daughter. It was like creating a safe space to draw out what was actually happening in her heart so she didn't feel like she'd experienced judgment from me. And so a lot of it was just like, tell me more about it. It was a lot more listening. It was a lot more empathizing, a lot more understanding. I did some of that with my son. Um, my, so like, I mean, I'm sure your Enneagram people or whatever, my son is a four on the Enneagram and my daughter is a two. And so, you know, she's studying pediatric nursing because she wants to help kids at their moment of deep crisis when they go into a hospital. You know, my son is studying music theory. You know what I'm saying? So it's like they're so different. Mm. Anyway, the thing I did with my daughter was I caught her 50 pieces of my heart and it was like, here's the 50 things I want you to know before you head into the world. And so that was based on like these 50 key deposits Whereas Nate, I, you know, had this like six-year journey with him that was based on like the six stages that all societies have traditionally taken young men through to produce like healthy contributing men. So definitely different. But again, if I would sum it up in one word, it was this, figure out who your kids are and move towards them with intentionality. That's, that's it. That's the, the big idea. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, what really stands out for me is like both of those scenarios, it, it doesn't matter what you said you did for them. The bigger thing for me was like, oh, John took time and intentionally wanted to invest creatively and with his mind and with his thinking and with his and listening and all these things. It's like at the heart of intentionality is like going, no, for this amount of time, I'm going to, I'm going to give to you in some capacity. And, um, man, most, most people don't take that to heart. They don't take the time. They don't take the preparation, which something that really connected me in the book was the intentional steps. You, you know, sometimes I like a good chart. So the no be (laughs) do experience, um, right. Can you explain that a little bit? That was just sort of came out of my head based on, you know, I, I had a pretty interesting life. I started working when I was 14 in a, at a butcher shop. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 to do an apprenticeship as a butcher. And so I missed out on some stuff. I also bought a house when I was 19 and lived on my own. Like in some senses, I was way ahead for my years. And in other senses, probably primarily emotionally, I was way behind in my years. What I wish someone had done for me was to say, okay, John, based on who you are, before you leave home, here's the kind of person I want to sort of like aim you in the direction of becoming. And here's the skills you're going to need to succeed in life based on the call that you have. And, and, and here's, here's like some wisdom that you're going to have to have to sort of figure out how life goes. And then sort of reverse engineered that back to me at 14 and said, let's work these things through, you know? So I, I remember I was making, you know, really good money because I worked a lot of hours as a as an apprentice butcher in comparison to my peers. Okay. No one ever said, hey John, have you thought about doing a budget? The only reason I bought a house hmm. is because my boss watched everybody else coming in drunk and said, John, do not piss your life away like all these other guys. Take the money that is spent on alcohol and get an asset with it. Talk to your parents about getting a shared mortgage. See if they'll sign with you. 
That thought had never crossed my mind. But then I looked around, I started talking to my mates, you know, how much money did you spend partying this weekend? Some of them were spending half their paychecks. And I was like, oh my gosh, my boss is right. Let me go buy a house. I wish someone had taught me about money. Mm. It was an accidental conversation. I wish somebody had talked to me about people skills. I wish they'd talked to me about how to date in a healthy manner. I wish, you know, I, I, there's all these things I needed to know to succeed in life. And I felt like it just, I was missing a school of wisdom. So I basically said, okay, let me then go back in time and help figure out what do I want to have deposited in my kids before they leave? And then let me just come up with a plan to do it. I mean, here's the thing. Parents do this in business. People, Parents do this with their jobs. And all I'm asking is that parents take some of the strategic focus gifts or goal-setting skills they've developed and apply that towards developing their kids on purpose. And then if you do that, you know, you won't get everything right, but I think you you look back with a deep sense of joy. Like, you know, what I'm about to say, I, I say just as an encouragement, but, you know, when my daughter was walking around the campus and she was introducing me to people she was meeting, this is how my daughter voluntarily introduced me. You've got to meet my dad. He's literally the wisest man you'll ever meet. And I, and I didn't, I wasn't even paying attention to it. And my wife that night when we were in the hotel and I was like, you know, just crying like a baby. <laughs> I think she was trying to comfort me. She was like, did you hear the way that your daughter introduced you to her peers as a man of wisdom? And she thinks that because you've shown her how to live. She's like, you need to hold your head high. I know you were sad right now, but your daughter recognizes that you tried to give her the best that you had. And all that did was made me cry more. But you know, you, but, you, but it was like, there's one of those moments where it's like, oh, she actually perceives me as a man who possesses life skills and wisdom. But the thing is, it's only because I tried to give those things to her. Like she would never have known who I am or what I have to give her if I never created a space to do that. So if you're a functional adult, you've got a ton to give to your kids. It's just putting it in such a way that they can receive it and then sort of take it into their lives. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was the four questions kind of that you were saying is, what do you want your child to know about God himself or life? What do you want your son to be? What skills do you want them to have? And then what experiences do you want them to have? And that's kind of how you organized it to give some kind of a base bone to kind of those questions, right? Yeah, and if you do that, I mean, like, I remember John Maxwell about a hundred years ago saying this little phrase, <laughs> make good memories and visit them often. Mm. Make good memories and visit. And that's how you maintain friendships. And so I was like, I want to do some like wild things with my kids where even 10 years later, you know, like, I, so when my, it was a little harder for my daughter, I did an epic trip with my son where we hiked across Spain together. But for my daughter, it was during COVID her senior year was, so um, we, all we could get to was uh, two weeks in Iceland. So we drove around Ring Road and just saw every waterfall, which is one of her favorite things. That's not so bad either, John. I'll be honest, Iceland sounds pretty great too. Yeah. So this morning I just shot her a photo of her drinking at her favorite coffee shop in Iceland. I just said, I wish I could have coffee with you this morning and hear about spring break. And her reply was, A, like, oh. I wish I could have coffee with you too, dad. But it's like, I'm pulling from shared memories and depositing the gift of our time together into her heart. And particularly if she's having a hard time or whatever, 
I've got a well of wonder to draw from, to just encourage her heart and remind her that she's, you know, we've got a good history together and we've had some good times. So creating those experiences is, is important. But I'll, I'll also say this, some of the things that have shaped both of my children are things that were so insignificant from my perspective, required minimal effort, but marked them forever. And um, so, again, I think what I would just say is like you you never know what's going to stick. You're perpetually like sowing seed into the good soil of their hearts and cultivating it with love and attention. And you just never know what's going to take root. And so I just say, just be intentional. Just believe that you as the person who has brought them into life or has, has been given the charge of loving them and raising them and caring, caring for them, that you're going to do what you can to do it right. And then you just never know. It's so parenting is so filled with possibility. It's filled with pain, but it's also filled with possibility. Like one of one of the things my son said, we're driving along and um, he said this little phrase, it was so moving. He said, Dad, you know, now that I'm getting older and I reflect back on my childhood, I realize there's all these memories you meant to have. He said, just like I listen to people and I'm like, oh, I think you meant to have those memories. And he said, I just wanted to say thank you. I have every one of those memories in my heart. Mm. This is he's saying this when he's 21. And so I just said, like, like what, man? And what does he pull out? He pulls out as like one of his favorite memories. When I did a there's a family emergency, you need to come to the office and went and saw a movie. Just played hooky, nothing, no effort. <laughs> just like, That's you great. know, it's probably it's probably a movie I wanted to see. And I couldn't even remember doing it really. And he was just like, oh, dad, that just meant so much to me. And here's what I didn't know. He was getting picked on and bullied at school. Mm. Now, I didn't know that. He, was, you know, he didn't, wasn't sharing that with me at that particular time. Mm. And so him feeling like, you know, like m- me pulling him out of the pain of his ordinary world to do something special and showing him that he mattered, like that fueled his heart in the midst of people picking on him. Like I didn't know that at the time. Mm. But because I just did it, it, it met a need in his life that I couldn't have known. And I guess that's just the power of intentionality. You never know what's happening on the other end in their heart when you move towards them in love. So uh, a lot of this is kind of your journey with your son and uh, another example, you, your journey with your daughter. I'm curious, how did that go with your wife? So like you're intentionally doing all this. She I mean, what what was her involvement in that? Or was it was it just like, hey, I'm taking ownership of this of what I want I need and want to do with the kids? Um, yeah, what did that look like for the two oh, of my, you? Listen, my, my wife has a my wife has a black belt in parenting, mate. I mean, she is an <laughs> extraordinary mother. And uh, she grew up uh with a daycare in her home. So she's been watching babies since she was a baby, you know, mm-hmm. and so her understanding of like child psychology and developmental stages, it's, it's, it's incredible. You know, my wife's not a public speaker. She's, you know, more private and a very gifted leader, but behind the scenes. And my wife doesn't want to write books. My wife has no social media. I mean, if you Google my wife, you can't find her. It's wild. And, uh, and yet she's, you know, passed a, along with me of like a large church in New York City, but she's just very private. And so she was like... Um, she could have written her own books, but she's like, you know, I kind of felt like that was just between me and the kids. That was kind of sacred for us. Hmm. And I was like, I totally respect that. So like, let me tell you now what my wife did for my daughter. I'm like, babes, at some point you got to put this down. I mean, 
you're going to change your generation here. And she's like, no, I just feel like that was very sacred. And so I want to sort of respect her privacy, but needless mm. to say, she was very, very involved and very, very intentional. And what, what my wife, you know, I'm a, I'm a, like one of my top gifts in strength finders is strategic. So like this, I've never, like, I'm like, you're like, I've never met a strategic chart. I don't love. And so like <laughs> I'm mapping out like six years of stuff and my wife just had like this Jedi sense of timing about my kid's hearts, you know? And so she, she would say she didn't put as much work in, but my wife got like that Pareto principle. She knew the 20% and she just like her timing on it was amazing. So, you know, I felt like a lot of times I tilled the soil and put the seed in and she would water it and harvest it just right at the right moment. So we definitely did it together. I mean, there definitely was a separation with my son where, you know, one of my, I think, deep learnings from studying like sociology of male formation is that men have to be formed with other men and not in the presence of women. There's just like a self-consciousness or a performative nature or shame that creeps in when women watch men try and develop. And so those times I had to say, Hey, you know what, this is just me and Nate. Um, can you please give us some privacy? These are like hard conversations and just like, this just needs to be a conversation for men with men. And she would respect that. But then there was other stuff that was generic and, you know, so we, we did other, we had a family night every week and did the Sabbath together and, and she did her own stuff with both of my kids. She did trips with them and uh, poured into them. But again, she didn't want to write the book. Yeah. I wish she would. But I respect. I that, want you know. that daughter book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you also talk about the importance, I think, of initiation or rites of passage. And that was based a lot, I think, on your historical studies as well. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what that means and, you know, why we've lost it today? There's two sources on that. One's a book called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. And um, the other one was basically was the president of the American Jungian Association, a guy named James Hollis, who's one of the sort of Rollheiser uh, raw secret sources for sort of midlife content. I just did like, I just binged a bunch of his books and they both overlapped with this simple idea, which was this, all societies except ours have had a six step process of forming young men. And they did this in such a way to, you know, so let me just describe the process. Number one is separation uh, from the childhood environment. This was often an aggressive move, but the, the goal was to let kids know, hey, man, you're entering into liminal space, like childhood is over. Step two is um, the death of childhood psychology. You know, so it's for some communities, depending on how barbaric it was, this was like circumcision at age 13. Sometimes it was, yes, yeah, some physical act. And the goal was to basically say, like, you're about to enter into puberty and your body's about to be filled with testosterone. You're about to have a different kind of energy and we've got to mark that this is going to be a painful journey. Then they would uh, basically go through a process of training. The training would focus on three things. Number one, the story of the community. So they had a sense of belonging to a particular group. Number two, the religious tradition. And you think in a lot of these primitive cultures, like, you know, identifying your God uh, was as, as much a part of being a part of a community as anything else. So it's understanding the religions and gods of your people. And number three was mastering the roles necessary to participate and add value to your community. So this would go on for years around these three things, around, around faith and uh, around contribution to your community, the core roles and uh, the story of your people. Then they were sent out into what was called the ordeal. And the ordeal was a test 
to help you figure out if you had what it takes. And this was about developing internal fortitude and confidence. So you've had all this content and skills dumped on you. Now let's put you in an environment where you have to actualize it. If you pass the ordeal, which, you know, for young Aboriginal men in Australia could last up to six months in the outback where everything that exists is trying to kill you. This is the vision quest for Native American peoples. Um, This is killing a lion for the Messiah, all those sorts of things. If you pass that, you were welcomed back and blessed and recognized by the men. And then lastly, you were integrated back into society to contribute, to protect your people, continue sort of like living for something you know, above yourself, definitely breaking that adolescent psychology. So you would actually be an adult to contribute to the tribe. Now, if you go to our current society and ask, when does someone become an adult? What's the pathway? Right. It's like you turn 18. Yeah. Yes. It's high school. It's a beer. It's Hmm. like loss of virginity. Hmm. You got a driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Driver's license which normally leads to alcohol and the loss of virginity. Um, it's like, when, when do you know? So Rollheiser's point, which Ronald Rollheiser says, like we, we, we look back at some of these societies and we say how unnecessary, how barbaric. And he said, but what young people are doing today and all of their rebellion and all of their quests for identity and all of their quests in risk, risk-laden behavior is they're trying to self-initiate because they know there's a journey they have to go on to mature. And in the absence of guides, they try and make the journey themselves. And normally they fill their lives with pain because there's no help. And so he says, it may sound cruel, but the kindest thing you can do is take people through the gauntlet of adolescence in an intentional way. I've had, I mean, tens of thousands of dads have read this book and the feedback has been overwhelming. And it's this, it's like, my son aches for this. Doesn't mean he responds well, but he aches for it. And so I definitely think that we have lost something in modern society. And again, they had different processes for women. I'm talking primarily, um, you know, this is a book about dads and sons primarily. There's definitely some universal lessons. But I would say this, we've just lost the mechanisms to develop mature, healthy, confident, servant-minded adults for the good of the world. And I, I make no apologies about like having a path and trying to produce better human beings with love and intentionality, you know, for a better world, which I think we desperately need. How often did you struggle with, I mean, you had this intentionality, you had this plan, you structured it all out, you built this process, and then all of a sudden, did you struggle not having expectations with it? I mean, like for my kids to turn out a certain way or... Or what if they didn't respond? It's like, okay, I'm taking my son out to breakfast. I have this whole thing I want to talk about. And it's like, you just got nothing from him in that moment. Yeah, that only happened hundreds of times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like part of being an adult is saying you need this whether you understand it or not. Hmm. Like, like, you know, it's like it's, it's not my responsibility for my children to like me. I'm not playing the like game. I'm not their friend. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not an adolescent seeking belonging from my teenager. I'm there to love them and to help them. And, and a lot of times that is about denying my need for immediate feedback and affirmation. Mm. So if your question is like, was there times when it was discouraging? The answer is abs of friggin' lootly. Yes. I mean, it was like, <laughs> there's many times I, I wanted to myself, is this making any difference? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Both of my kids went um, through periods of what would be described as rebellion. You know, no interest in the values of our house, doing things that were very unwise from my perspective. But the key is like 
my job is to love them and to give them the best I can. It is not my job to make sure that they receive it and live it out. My job is to help them form strong wills and values and character traits and you know, and, and so my job is to do that, whether they respond to it or not. And now I'm always like trying to ask, how can I create this in such a way that they want to respond to it? I kept sure. trying to tweak and like sure. empathize and go back to my own teenage years. And, and I think, you know, if, if you're looking for a best practice of like, like, you know, how do you do it better? It's like, man, ask better questions. Like I parented so much through social contracts instead of punishment and through asking questions instead of lectures. Explain that a little bit more, like what you're talking about, social contracts. The world is run by social contracts. So if you if you have a job, you have a social contract. We have a boss that says, if you do these things, I'll give you these rewards. And if you don't do these things, there'll be these consequences. And that's called how life works. So you know, what is a license? A license is a social contract. We give you the right to drive a car. And here's the rules. And if you drive by these rules, when you're 16, you can drive to California if you want. Mm-hmm. Also, if you speed, you're going to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. And if you drive drunk, we're going to, you know, so like life is a series of like social contracts. Mm-hmm. The quicker you can prepare a kid to understand the rewards and consequences of how life works, the healthier they're going to be and more internally motivated, as opposed to begging, pleading, punishing, scolding. These things are ineffective because as soon as your kids get out from under your authority, they're just going to do whatever they want. So a classic, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you give chores to your kids and you'd say, okay, let's have a meeting. Okay. Here's your responsibility. Do you feel like this is fair? No. Okay. Well, let's keep working it through. So we both feel good about it. Doesn't mean everyone's happy, but it means it's good enough to move forward. Mm. If you do this, here's what you get. If you don't do this, here's what you won't get. And if you need help, here's all the help that's available, but I will not nag you to do this. Mm-hmm. So feel free to reach out along the way and I'm here to help you. And that's basically how I parented through the teenage years. And <laughs> as a result, like I got in very few fights with my kids, very few tantrums, power plays, dynamics, those sorts of things. And I like particularly my son would come back and say, I'm such an idiot. That was just a poor choice. I knew the consequences. Why did I do that? He was developing self-awareness in regards to that. So, again, I think that's something I got from uh, Stephen Covey in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, which is a wonderful book. And so I just was like, I'm going to adopt this. And then Mm. asking better questions, you know, and um, questions that the best ones were ones that create moral dilemmas where there's no easy answer. Mm-hmm. You know, so you, you you bring these questions up and you just yeah. go, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Oh, and you're teaching him how to think mm. about things. And so, you know, instead of like, you know, why did you do that? And, but not you're not asking a question, yeah. condemning them. Why did you do that? Instead of saying, hey, like, what pressures were you feeling from your friends that made you make that decision? Mm. Or you knew you'd get in trouble. And you'd probably get caught, but you still made this decision, which makes me think that underneath there's some deeper need happening in your heart and it's worth getting in trouble for. Like, mm. could you maybe tell me what that is? You know, it's just, <laughs> just a tough like question. That's good. That is good. So you, you're just trying to help them think. You're trying to help them become adults to the degree that you can. You're trying to help them become thoughtful people, you know, 
Mm. And um, I felt like the more I could do that, give them the tools for how to think and reason and process the, you know, they would maintain those values and lessons long after I was gone. Wow. John, this was some like good, good stuff. It's like a master's course right now. I know. We just did a master class. This is a master class with John Tyson. (laughs) I don't know about that. Look, I want to tell you, um, if you're a parent out there and you're beat down and you're Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know if this is doing any good. I just want to say to you, stay the course. Mm, you yeah. never know what's happening. And, and again, rarely do they appreciate it until they're in their twenties. Mm. Just be consistent. Don't worry, you know, do what you can do, not what you can't do. If this, if the stuff I'm talking about feels like it's too much and then, then don't do it. Like do what you can, not what mm-hmm. you can't. Yeah. But you're, you're capable of more than you know, and it's worth stretching for. And I do have sometimes have people say to me like, do you wish you'd chilled out? And I'm like, there's a lot of things I trade to get my time again, you know. So value these years, cherish it. And if your kids are old, you feel like you've you've blown it, and it's not too late. Mm. You know, there's so much power in asking for forgiveness. There's so much power in having a conversation and listening, even to the ways that maybe you've hurt your kids, mm-hmm. and then just saying, "I'm so sorry," but I want you to know, like, you matter to me, and I want to build going forward. So there's power in parenting. Use it well, and don't give up hope. And now it's time for the breakdown. Are you going to break it down for us? Well, Are you going to break down how I should be an intentional father? No, I felt like the breakdown. First of all, I do want to take back everything I said prior to the interview. I'm glad we broke that down for you. And say how important and valuable this was for me to listen to just about intentional parenting, yeah. I think. I think he really did just give me a lot to think about in that sense too, even though it's geared towards fathers. As a person that (laughs) has a love language of words of affirmation, which you and I have been talking a lot about recently, Mm -hmm. it is good. He said a lot of things that spoke to me about, okay, if you engage us, and again, I think when he's saying to approach this, it might be a little later than our kids' ages are right now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. To be intentional and to not expect feedback or expect or whatever way or of whatever. success you yeah. think it's going to happen and do and be that whatever. you won't hear what stuck with them until they're in their 20s. Yeah, it's good to have that not have that expectation. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I loved what he said about sowing and reaping never occurs in the same season. Mm. And I just love that that concept like that has to stay in the head that all of these moving towards our kids, uh, first of all, doesn't mean they're going to move towards us, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if you got some teenagers. He literally said love is doing it without affirmation. Yeah, that's We're just doing it anyway. Yeah. No matter what the kid is reacting or mm. not to. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I really also just like, you know, there was, they didn't, we didn't talk about this, but there are some things, some characteristics uh, in this chart that he put in about some ideas that they said about what my dad got right and what my dad got wrong. Yeah. And there were these words. In the research they did. In the research. And I thought these words were so important because they're pretty much exact opposite words, but the words were 
the biggest responses for what my dad got right was, was compassionate, loving, supportive, and kind, which are all like different words. Than, and then the negative, the opposite words were what they got wrong was not emotionally involved, didn't show love, lack of empathy, and not being there for me. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting that they were pretty much exact opposites, but that it's really just that idea that teenagers don't feel understood. They want to be fully known. They want you to move towards their heart and their true personhood. Mm. And so I thought it was really beautiful that that's really the intention of what he's trying to say. I'm really challenged by the idea that I need to stop and answer some of these questions. Like before my kids move on, what, what do I want to make sure that I share with them, you know, Mm -hmm. and to take the time and pause and be creative and use my brain and like actually invest capacity and creativity into where I want to take them and share with them Mm -hmm. this next few years. I mean, you and I do that in a lot of ways, but I think even for me as an individual, Oh, what do I want to share with, with my children? Yeah. Yeah. And he gives some, he has so many questions, so many really practical, good things in the book and like ways to work through a lot of this. But I think the great part that he was saying is just like, do what you can to move towards your child. Mm-hmm. And whatever way that looks like. And it doesn't have to be so uh, concrete like what he has in here, but um, it can be something. Yeah. I, uh, I I love that we did this episode with John. I'm, I'm, I hope that our book, the, some of the content there was encouragement, everything from family to raising humans to all those little things that we've learned mm-hmm. along the way um, that have helped raise our kids also. Yeah. And um Also, uh, there is a resource that he has. I know we told you he is a pastor. So if you are interested in like a devotional or some kind of a spiritual thing that you want to do with your kids, he has started something called primalpath.co. And it's basically daily devotionals that you can do with your kid. But the book is, uh, it's called The Intentional Father. Look it up on Amazon, wherever you buy books. It, it was really helpful for me and, and I'm, I'm still learning through it, I would say. Yeah. You still got to go through a lot of the questions mm-hmm. and action steps and things. Yeah. Yeah. What a great, great episode today. Yeah. You, you really, I mean, it was really good for you to learn about raising boys. As a father. What? I'm As joking. a father. <laughs> no, John blew me away totally. and took it to a really good, like, kind of practicality of parenting. Totally. And that was really helpful for me as well. So I yeah. loved it. Well, that's another episode of Love or Work. This episode was recorded by Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.